0: Welcome, Badass Asian Dudes. It is so cool to have you here. Uh, Today, we have on a super badass dude, Jason Wang. So, um, before we get into that, uh, I have on my other three co-hosts as well, part of the Badass Asian Dudes, like admins and moderators. Um, Sabo, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Sebo uh, Shen with Bernard Lab. Happy to be here. I read up a lot on Jason Wang before we did this podcast. So, super excited, super excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us all the way from Japan.
2: And, Mike. Hey, uh, I'm Michael Wu. I'm one, one of the moderators also here on Bad. I'm actually also in Japan hanging out with Jason. We went diving yesterday and just chilling out here in the morning, but just super excited to be here and hear more of your. Um story and how the your mindset.
3: Hey, Nick. Hey guys, this is Nick Hong, uh calling from New York City. I'm also one of the moderators of bad Asian Dudes. Jason, I think I heard about your story back in like 2014, how you had already sold everything off and you're going about your adventure. So I'm really excited to actually meet you in person or over Zoom. So really excited That's to be sweet, here.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Great and, to be here. Yes. Um uh, and I'm Victor. Um also part of the Badest Asian Dudes moderators and um Also an emotional intelligence coach and cannabis wellness coach. So really love tapping into, you know, personal development and kind of the emotional well-being of of being a badass dude, especially in entrepreneurship and creativity and and whatnot. So we'll get into all of that soon. But um, Jason, super cool to have you here. Maybe for those who are not familiar with you, introduce introduce yourself and um, yeah just a quick intro in what you do.
3: Sure, yeah, my name is Jason. Uh, So for the past four years, uh, I was traveling around the world, actually trying to visit every country on the planet. And that kind of came to a halt in March and I ended up in Japan. But previously to that, I was a food tech entrepreneur, started a couple of companies um, with some friends uh, from college. And actually, been traveling for food for the past decade or so. I just love to eat, love restaurants, and actually own uh, a few restaurant groups right now. And along with the travel, so excited to to be on this podcast. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. we're all excited to have you here too. Um, I I'm just like fascinated by your story and the fact that like what I read about was that you started um, in high school in entrepreneurship, in, um, in creating like websites, like an anime website and started making money off that, like, I guess I'm really curious, like, tell us about what sort of drove your sort of entrepreneurial nature. It seemed like that's really part of your core there. What, what kind of like drew that or what was like a, you know, a big contributing factor for you to, to do that?
1: Hey, and just real quick, Jason, just real quick, Jason, before you respond is um, we've done a series of these interviews and, you know, the first question that we actually ask everyone before we dive into that is, you know, what does being a badass Asian dude mean to you? You know, we love to have that defined by our guests so that they have some context of like, you know, how this person views who a badass Asian dude is. So if you could answer Victor's question right after you define in your mind what a badass Asian dude is, you know, I think it'll really set the context for this conversation.
3: Yeah, being a badass Asian dude, uh, at least to me, is being able to, you know, break out of the stereotypes and go past the bamboo ceiling that a lot of us, you know, perceive is out there and there's no limit. As an Asian dude, like you can achieve anything. That's what it means to me. Yeah, so going back to um, the question of, you know, in high school, actually even before that, like, I just love, you know, computers. I think my dad was always a programmer as I was growing up. uh, And he bought like the, the first computer when I was in second grade and I just started playing games on it, dabbling around and also loved watching anime. And I kind of saw this as an opportunity when the web was just coming around, like the first version of it as an opportunity to kind of, start making websites and, you know, have an opportunity to kind of build something when I was really young and just tinkering around. So it was all for fun in the beginning. I love this, uh, this anime called uh car captor Sakura back in Japan. And I heard that it was coming to the U S and I saw that as an opportunity to kind of jump on the ship and kind of make the first American version Of the car captors, Uh, I actually bought the domain carcaptors.com, and I think at one point we I built the website, got a lot of content for it. Um, There was a company called DoubleClick at the time, before it got bought by Google, and it allowed you to put ads on the website, and they paid you a dollar for every one thousand impressions it got. And we were the largest. Card captors website in America at the time, getting about 30,000 impressions a day. So I made about $30 a day back in like, this was middle school, high school era. And that was like my allowance. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like you can build something from home and make money and do something cool with it. So it all started there. Um, And then it kind of died down. Like when I went to college, I was like, okay, let me put this all on the back burner and focus on my studies. And I thought I was going to be an accountant at the time going through college. So I just purely did everything I could to, to study for that and go on that career track. Um, but quickly realizing that wasn't for me uh, and kind of jumped ship right out of college, worked a couple jobs and started my next company. And we wanted to, to have the first uh, Craigslist app and so we we built it launched it and became a top three craigslist app but it got you know the the is flowing again like that i had back when i was a kid building websites and the rest of my entrepreneurship journey started from there
0: yeah no I, and i love that it's i mean i guess i'm really always curious like what was there when you like wanted to create websites and, and, and do that, was it just something that you were just like interested in? You're curious about, did you, yeah? did you also look more long-term or was it like, Oh, I have this vision of something that I, and this is why I want to do it. Or was it kind of, yeah. Just like, how, how did it all start for you?
3: Yeah. So I like documenting things and putting things on, online to have a collection so I can go back later and refer to it. So the first website, the anime website was literally a collection of all the episodes that aired and a recap of it. And that was it. Cause some people may have missed an episode. There was no way to really record shows at the time, right? Unless you popped in a VCR and hit the record button and people wanted to have a way to kind of go back and read about what happened in an episode and that was it that was just for fun like it was just cool tinkering around there was really no like business let's make money mentality at the time i just had fun doing it
0: and and your fun had got you here so does i i'm also wondering now if you know you had any resistance or obstacles either from other people from parents from society from culture or even internally from yourself when doing any of this like you know going and just doing what you would do or like to do for fun you know i feel like is very rare for asians <laughs> for for anybody yeah. who has the tiger mom or helicopter dad to you know try to contain them i don't know what your upbringing was but yeah what type of resistance or obstacles did you face
3: yeah. I mean, it's, it's similar to that story. I mean, nowadays, like entrepreneurship is great. Every, you know, it's getting more accepted. Uh, but back in the day, like anytime you try to do something outside of your normal studies or extracurricular activities that you can add to your college resume, like it just, uh, it's, it, it would be seen as like a, a waste of time. But I mean, for me, it was it was either dad or playing video games. But I wanted to do something that was productive and that I had a lot of fun with, and that was making websites and getting content together and sharing it with the world. I, I love doing that. That's kind of what I spent my time on, but yeah, it was a constant pushback. Like you, like you mentioned, but I think it was me pushing back and saying, Hey, look, like this is actually getting somewhere. I'm actually, I actually can make some money and could be, become like a, a nice side business and you don't have to give me allowance money anymore because I'm making my own. So all of that kind of added up and, and helped, uh, you know, growing as up
0: as long as you can show them you're making money. Then
3: <laughs> yeah. be okay.
1: Yeah, Mike, but that reminds me of the stories of people that I've seen in the cannabis industry. Like, um, especially if they have Asian parents, you know, their parents were very much like, yeah, you, you shouldn't be in this industry. And once they're able to say, Hey, I'm making some money. They're like, okay. Okay, you know, yeah. um look, and my parents included, you know, but uh, luckily they are now all cannabis consumers as well. That's awesome. yeah, so you know, I think the, the thing that you're most known for is caviar. you know, how did you kind of migrate over to you know what you were doing over to the caviar idea?
2: and yeah, adding, so, on that, um, uh, adding on to that, sorry, adding on to that, obviously like doing every uh, building websites and things starts off so fun, but then. Eventually you're like, I need to do this for my survival, right? And then also leaving a full time job is also hard to leave that stability. Uh how did that how did your that did that initial mindset change too when you're going into full time into caviar?
3: Yeah. So before that, like yeah, going through college again, I was completely foregone to entrepreneurship scene and I was like, I'm gonna focus on my studies. I'm ready to become accountant. I studied business, got into the business school undergrad at, at Cal, and you know everything was just like really planned out. I was planning out my next like 10, 15 years of my life, just going up the career ladder. And this was uh, also during the the last financial crisis, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So like, I, I every opportunity I got, I just really appreciated because I know a lot of jobs were not around, and getting a job offer you know, into banking right out of college was really, you know, I really appreciate it. So I didn't want to mess anything up, but I remember like the first month I got sent to training. This was at bank of America, Merrill Lynch. This was literally when Merrill Lynch announced they were going under. So B of A acquired them. No one knew what was going on. And this was the San Francisco office in their tech corporate debt division. I think at the time, typically like they, they hire four analysts every year but that literally got cut down to one. So I was really appreciative that I got the offer. And then I remember in the first month, they sent you the training, right? In, in in their headquarters in Charlotte. And I remember just in the first month, I was like, wow, like I, this is not for me. I got to get out of here. And, but I you know, I stuck around for nine months. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna focus and do this, but just, couldn't. Every day I was just distracted. I wanted to get out of there and do something else. I wanted to be in tech, go back to what I love doing. So, nine months later, I was able to kind of switch into into Google. So, I ended up getting just like an entry level job there just to build a break in back into tech, in the tech world. And I remember at Google, uh, I was part of the team, the Google checkout team, which later became the wallet. And I was in their frauds department and, you know, being a non engineer in a engineering tech company, typically in a, and especially in a big company, there just wasn't much work to be done. So I, I took like the shuttle bus every day from, uh, the East Bay down to Mountain View for work. And there was only so much work that I finished all of the work on the, the shuttle ride there. So when I got there, I just had so much free time and I started using that free time to kind of work on my own side projects. I'm like, wow, like I'm getting paid to kind of have time to have my own ideas. And hence that was the the first idea kind of started with my dad. I mean, at the time I knew nothing about entrepreneurship. There was no encouragement of that within the family or my friends or, or going back to school. There was no entrepreneurship program but that was just something I like to do, like work on my own stuff. So built that uh, Craigslist app with my dad, which shot up to like top three on the windows app. And then we got the cease and desist and a windows platform came crashing down and eventually shut down. So that was the end of the first business. But at the same time, I had so much free time still. Like, and you know, we also got free food at Google, which was cool because I can invite my friends over dinners and that's kind of how the big idea came along uh so one of my friends we were in the same fraternity in college he worked at ea in redwood city not too far away and he didn't get free food at his company so every night for dinner he would come down make the drive down and we would get the the free google dinners and just talk about business ideas and you know took about 6 months into it but we finally came up with something that we thought we could do on our spare time outside of like working hours and that was our first big idea before caviar um that we assembled a team actually all friends from college in the same fraternity our initial team of co-founders and there were like 5 of us and we were all very inexperienced like some still in college And a couple of us just a year or two out of college working our first jobs, second jobs. But, you know, it got us really excited. And being a food lover, um, the first idea was actually a Groupon for food. Like we went around and we thought, like, there's, you know, Groupon, they're they're huge, they're the most successful startup of all time. This was at the time. And they're just so broad and wide, then why don't we build one that focuses specifically on food and we will target college campuses. And that's kind of what we did, like the first few months, uh, kind of just built it while we still had our you know, full-time jobs. And then we applied to this accelerator program called Y Combinator, which is not, you know, kind of new at the time. This was summer of 2011. So I think it started like in the mid 2000s. So there were just companies getting into it and breaking out. Um, but we applied, we got in for a whopping, uh, we exchanged 7% equity for $18,000. That's how much they gave you at the time. Today it's like 150,000 or so for the same amount of equity. But back then it was, it was $18,000 for 7%. We are like, all right, let's do this. So co-founders, we, 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 all, we all left our jobs and another co-founder dropped out of school and we decided to to get this thing going but can I, can uh, ask, we never actually, did.
0: yeah can i ask yeah. like it sounds like within that whole bit is a lot of discomfort like a yeah. lot of transition a lot of unfamiliarity uncertainty fear how did you handle that like i'd love to get more personal in in your own you know, journey within that, you know, besides all the the actual things that happen, how did you kind of deal with all of these things internally?
3: Right. How, I mean, how, how it you was deal uh, with maybe the comfort. toughest time of my life. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For yeah. Sure, how did I right? deal with it? you that. just convinced some of your your closest friends to basically drop everything. And even had some of their parents call you call you and tell you that you're crazy, that you need to get their sons back to work. So and we were, we, were, we were like borrowing money and just to survive and literally eating ramen packets for months on end. Uh, so, but like we all knew, we all knew one thing, right? That this would probably be the, we're in, in our, in our early twenties, this would be the only time in our lives where, you know, we can do this together as a team and give it a shot where without any responsibilities right no 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 family to take care of no kids no wife like nothing like we could focus 100% and this may be the only opportunity in our lives to do so but as we were winding down like all of us had doubts we were no even me i started like looking for 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 a job again right without telling anyone like uh we were we were still going but in the back of my mind, I was like, I need to, I need to exit a plan B. And the thing is, once I started doing that, I realized, okay, you can always go back and get a job. That's no problem. There's jobs out there. As long as you properly recruit, you can find one. But again, it got me thinking again, like, okay, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to work with your friends on something. So I remember we, we just came together, we sat down and, and said, you know, what we're, how we're going to do this. Like we have no money in the bank. We came up with a clever idea to start subletting our, our space. This was before like the, we concept even existed. Like we just bought some desks and rented out to other startups for 500 apiece. That was enough to cover rent and pay for our like, very, very basic meals enough just to survive. And a lot of us were living at home already at the time, just to s- save any time we can. Um, and we said we're going to give it three more months. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had no new ideas. We just had a white, a blank whiteboard and it was with all of our like uh traction that we had with our food business. And we just saw it like go completely downwards. So we erased that, had a blank canvas. And we, we said we weren't going to leave this room until we come up with a new idea. But again, we had another setback like we thought we had a brilliant idea. We all settled on, let's create the Airbnb for food. That was our next big thing. Like we have all these people that love to cook, but why can't they cook and then sell their food, right? Instead of just restaurants, why can we turn every home into a restaurant? We're like, yes, yeah, it's going to be super big. We got super excited. Let's give it three months. So we came up with the idea. We sent that to Paul Graham, who was the founder of Y Combinator. Asked for his opinion. And it, within five minutes, he was like, Don't do it. <laughs> uh, one, it's like, it's actually not legal to sell food without a food license out of your home. And two, like, they literally had a dozen or so startups with that same idea apply to their next batch and they rejected all of them. So, we're like, okay, damn it. Like, maybe we shouldn't do this. So, we're back to, to square one again. And at that time, we're like, All right, it's, maybe it's time to go and actually go and get a job, go back to school. Like it's, it's over. Um, but an idea literally clicked that day you know, when we told ourselves we'll, we'll reconvene, but then we came up with something and it didn't exist at the time. Cause we, we were just eating the same, like we were eating subway and like the same food over and over again. And, you know, sometimes we wanted to get our favorite sandwich from across town. It was Ike Sandwiches and the Castro. We were in the financial district. And it was just impossible, right, to get our favorite foods. We realized, man, we've just been eating 499-foot-long Subways every single day because, one, we can't walk more than three blocks. It takes up too much time, and time is valuable. And no restaurants deliver their food to you. Like, Why is that? We heard about like Grubhub and Seamless, E24, like the only three delivery companies that existed back in 2012 and we're like, all right, let's, let's try out food delivery you know, let's see what we can order for, for ourselves. And we saw the same restaurants, the same Chinese restaurants, Indian restaurants, Thai food and, and pizza places, basically the spots nobody wanted to eat at, but had no choice because they're the only places that delivered. You know, like, what's going on? How come we, you know, this was unknown to us that no restaurants delivered. Like we were pretty mind blown.
0: So actually I, I hate to interrupt, but I, I, um, I love the story. I love that, you know, how caviar started. I, I know that a lot of that information you've, you know, talked a lot about in other interviews and whatnot too. Um, I'm really curious, like what, you know, where, I guess what, what, you know, what was the scariest part? within your journey or, or or how do you how do you really like manage that because I'm not sure exactly if I really heard it sounds like there's a lot of like very hacky things that you end up doing I, I just love that you yeah. at one point I heard that you like sold blood you like went to mm-hmm. go like you know take uh uh research studies you know paid research studies so there's a lot of yeah. that very hacky you know mentality for you but more more on the emotional level like you know how do you personally deal with this uncertainty because i know that a lot of listeners here right yeah just for context is like we we all want to be badass asian dudes and i think sometimes we you know in a, in especially in you know i think it's like combination of um the hustle of course and like achieving all these things hitting goals doing all these things i think there's sometimes a lack in that personal development that the mindset the the you know the perspectives to um persevere to um you know continue you know, continue even in that hardship. Right. So mm-hmm. the difference between maybe a lot of badass Asian dudes and those who aren't are those that kind of fall off. So I'm curious, like what, where, yeah. like how, how, you know, where did you develop that sort of resiliency? Right. Where did you like, is that something that you ever thought yeah, so much
3: about or yeah. Yeah. So That was one of the benefits of the, the, the it's very important. I think it's the co-founding team. And for us, we went through a lot because we were part of the same fraternity and we're, a lot of us actually pledged together. So we went through a lot of the, the hardships both mentally and physically together over the years. So we were just doing it again together, but in a startup format, so that really helped. And there's this one quote that uh, basically was our, our, our guiding light the entire time, even when times got tough. And that was like, the only way you can fail a startup is by, by quitting. So if you never quit, you never fail. So for us, like, you know, how there's a lot of talk that, Oh, you can, you know, you can learn from failure, blah, blah, blah. Right. But for us, we have the exact opposite mentality. Like we told ourselves, we don't want to fail. We cannot fail and we have to succeed. So we're on the exact, so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and, it, and basically we had to get the whole buy-in of the, the founding team. Right? Okay, let's do this together. And with that, that togetherness it really helped us overcome individual doubts right So when you see that okay this person's in it the person my left and right are both in it like we're going to do this together it it just helps with your mentality a lot whereas if you're just at it by yourself all the time for sure you're going to get self-doubt but as a team it the collectiveness is what got us through it
1: Uh, yeah and and you know like within your team you know like I guess, you know, you you were at one point looking for a job, you know, not even letting them know. Right. So, you know, like how much of like the doubts did you guys expose to each other when you guys were, you know, kind of cohesively coming together?
3: None. Yeah. We didn't find out about all of this until after, but like during that time, like we did not share any doubt with each other. So we didn't want to discourage anyone. Right. And especially as like a leader, if you show weakness, like that's going to be really bad for the people that look to you for, for guidance. So that's also a very tough part of like building something where you have other people and you're the leader. Like it's, it all has to do with managing your psychology. You can, it's just really bad to show that type of weakness when times are really tough. So you got to have the resolve. Um, it has a lot to do with like mental stability and, and strength.
0: I mean, that's actually, you know, it, interesting. I, I'd love to hear Seva uh, your comment, but it just comment on that. Like the, you know, we always, you hear a lot about how we, we do want to be more open, be more vulnerable, develop that connection. Right. right. Um, because, but I also do agree on the other end of the spectrum that there is a balance to that where Maybe you can't show too much vulnerability uh, where it it can become discouraging. So I don't know if that ever got in the way of developing like depth in your relationships or like kind of more cohesion and, you know, not letting things be swept under the rug at all. Do you ever run into that? Yeah, for sure.
3: Uh, I also I think it depends on who you communicate that with. Like for our our struggles, like it's we can talk to other founders, right? Because it's you don't want to be, you know, in a very pivotal time, at least in our mindset, discouraging each other and having that vulnerability when you know we have all emotion cast aside and just focus on turning ourselves around. But of course, we had other founders that we talked to, uh, which helped a lot because, of course, that doesn't impact the team, and it could only help by. You know, seeing that maybe other people are in the same position as you, because every founder goes through the same struggle. Like there is no zero to one hundred, like super smooth. It's a roller coaster the entire way. It's only other founders can know what you're going through. So having that network of founders, um, very very helpful. Do you have a lot of friends and family. Otherwise, like, were they asking to stop the journey? And when you had to, like, basically shut them out and pay attention more to other founders? Uh, what was that? Sorry, you cut out a little bit in the beginning. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just wondering about friends and family. What were they saying to you when you were going through those hard times, right? Did you basically, like, hear a lot that uh, your parents telling you to, like, quit and go back to something normal? Or did, were they supportive of that? How did that jive with the whole things that you were hearing from other founders about keep going on and not quitting? Yeah, I mean, it, it got to the point where, you know, my co-founders' parents were telling me that, is crazy and right go back to work so when you hear from other parents including your own parents like it is tough and it puts more pressure um but also it it wakes up this instinct of wanting to prove everyone wrong that's the type of people we are like when you hear that it just actually drives more fuel to want to do better and shout out all the, the doubters right
1: you know, I got an interesting question I wanted to ask you because I'm a I'm a um, co-founder myself, and you know, like in my work career, we've had five successful exits already, and you know, each of these exits I got to tell you, at least for me, was just it, it just became another thing, you know. And what I wanted to ask you was, you know, like you said something that really kind of like um, made me like it, it piqued my curiosity because it's one thing that really motivated me, which was you said you wanted to prove these other people wrong. And, you know, what's interesting is I wanted to prove people wrong so much that I worked at five startups, you know, thinking every time I proved these people wrong, it would make me happy. And I'm 43, I'm the oldest guy here. So, you know, like, now that I'm in my later years, you know, I really started seeing like, okay, how much of my life has been proving people wrong to show like Asian men aren't weak and docile, that we could be leaders versus how much of this is actually me, you know? And I was curious, have you ever done that analysis of yourself?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, for me, um, I think you just gotta, for me, it was just proving that the doubters wrong. Just once, you only have to prove them wrong once. Right. There was a saying where you hustle, you work hard enough for a few years like that. No one else is willing to do. And then you can live the rest of your life anyway. That where other people they they can't because you spent those years doing what you said you were gonna do and and achieving the results. So that's what I had in my mind the whole time. And for me, it isn't going back and constantly proving people wrong. I mean, at some point, you know, you focus on your own happiness and life journey as well. And if that's what keeps you happy and satisfied, then
2: so be it. But not for me at least. Yeah. That's cool. So after being acquired by Square and I assume you spent some time there before with Golden handcuffs before leaving but um how has that changed your mindset on how you want to spend your efforts is there a far-fetched dream that you're trying to accomplish now
3: Yeah I mean I think what I know now is uh, I I don't like being part of a really big organization I like smaller teams and kind of just doing things where you're kind of your own your own boss and you're in control of your own time and freedom. Um, that's kind of what I realized and I want to spend the rest of you know my life like doing things on my own terms and um, whether that's starting something again um, and making something more meaningful, you know another impact or a meaningful company to change the world or whatever that may be but whatever it is, like I know I want to do it on my own terms and not be part of like a really big organization where you know a lot of it could just be day-to-day politics that hinders your what you want to do. Yeah. Love that.
0: Um as we're as we're coming up on the hour here, um I'd love to ask something that maybe is, is quite personal. But I'm really curious in where you're at now and whether or not you feel a sense of fulfillment with where you're at and where you might start developing a lot more of that as you, as you do start looking forward, um in, in how you want to spend your time.
3: Yep. So for me, travel wasn't really big before. I never really traveled. I was actually really against it. Uh, I always told people like, We took trips. Why are you wasting your time? I can go on Google, look at images, and I'm there without, you know, save a lot of money. And before it was like a lot of mindset, you know, make a lot of money, buy a lot of things. And I think everything, everything changed once I took my first trip. And now I'm on that path where I want to explore all cultures in the world, try all the food, you know, just visit every country in the the world and see what type of, you know, things are out there. And then, I think as I've traveled more, like my focus has shifted towards, how can we preserve what the world has offered for future generations, right? Because I I see like a lot of nature being destroyed. It's not going to be around. Animals are gone. Tomorrow's not promised, and this year kind of woke us up to that fact. Like, well, everything can stop. Everything we took for granted can stop. So, what can we do to make sure, you know, we leave the world a better place than you know we enjoyed over our lifetime? And that's kind of what I want to do eventually. Um, once I finish my own self journey, you know, to to visiting the places I want to go.
0: No, and yeah. and thank you for for that too, because you know you're you're right. Like this situation that we're in. Really shines light in a lot of how we're how human behavior and just our environments are just not being treated with the most respect here and and it sounds like now you're in a position in that privilege privilege to do something about it and i'm I'm grateful that you're you're starting to reflect upon that um do you think there is a current obstacle or a struggle that you that don't necessarily have an answer for yet that that you're looking to tackle. Even yeah, maybe, maybe not just like business wise too, but even personally.
3: Right. Um, I mean, for me, like you know, I didn't realize I would I, I even cared as much before, but a lot of it is is like wildlife now. Like after I started visiting and seeing these these animals in Africa. So I started going every year. And I contribute a lot to the, the economy now down there and the people. Um and how do I continue that? And uh how do I preserve that? And I really want to focus on that, like in the long run, um, like wildlife, both on land and in the sea. I think that's something I wanna spend a lot of time going forward in the next few years working on yeah
0: the polar bears are going to appreciate you (laughs) Um, well thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us Um, it's been super cool to hear your story and just the way you go about things the way you think the 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 mindset that you have Um, I'd love to continue hearing your updates here um, and as you're as you know in this journey um it sounds like you're on your own journey as well which is super cool to even just be a part of from a distance so um for those who do want to follow you and kind of keep in contact or track you how could they find you or or you know
3: contact you uh just on messenger Send ping me anytime yeah J Wang 815
1: all right. You got an Instagram handle that people could watch your travels through or anything like that, or just Jay Wang? It's like uh,
3: the same, same Instagram handle.
1: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Jason, you know, as, as Victor was saying, I know we have a ton of stories that could have occupied and filled a lot more hours of this. So hopefully you know, you'll come back in the future. And, you know, for anyone listening that, you know, liked what Jason was saying and felt inspired by this, you know, please do share this podcast with your friend. If you liked it personally, you know, leave us a great review. You know, that helps the algorithms. And yeah, you know, thank you very much for joining us on another episode of the Badass Asian Dude Podcast. I think we're all in agreement. Jason is a super badass dude. And I'm jealous of both you and Michael and whatever food you're eating out there because those pictures look friggin' delicious.
3: Thanks for having me
0: yes and and last thing at join the badass asian dudes on facebook if you haven't already um just badass asian dudes search there you can find jason and all of us there as well awesome see you jason
2: see ya. thanks jason